This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing this evening? Hey, Chad. I'm good. How are you? Doing all right. We were talking before we hit the record button. Um, I had a staff development day at my school today, so I didn't have any students. So it was a, a relaxing day, which is a nice <laughs> change for uh, Monday. How about you? Not too bad. A uh, short work day for me today as well. So yeah, looking forward to uh, getting episode 11 underway. For sure. We only have one thing on the sort of introduction part of the podcast this week. We have a new review uh, from CDWMD. Uh, did you want to say anything about this review in particular for any reason? I sure did. Um, whoever this kind reviewer is, thank you so much. Happens to be my mom. So uh, <laughs> thanks, mom, <laughs> for the support. I appreciate it. And yeah, dad, your turn. <laughs> oh, you're turning the tables on him now. Great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's great getting reviews from family and friends because it just it's a familiar face and we get to see that they are enjoying what we're making. So that's it's really cool to see people we're close to uh, participating in the show as well. So thank you, Mrs. White. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think it's time to dive into episode 15 of season two called Boys and Girls. This episode, released on February 2nd of 2006, was directed by Denny Gordon and written by B.J. Novak. So in Boys and Girls, Jan from Corporate conducts a Women in the Workplace meeting for the Ladies of Dunder Mifflin Scranton. Michael, of course, being Michael, is very annoyed at being excluded from this meeting and sets up a Men in the Workplace meeting, which begins right outside the window of the conference room where the women are having their meeting. So the men move down to the warehouse where Michael causes absolute chaos. He's breaking things. He's trashing the whole place. And the warehouse guys uh, eventually begin talk of forming a union after having the white collar workers down there with them. Jan hears about this and shuts it down immediately, saying that the entire branch will be dissolved. Everyone will lose their jobs. Also upstairs, Jan mentions to Pam that there is a design training program at corporate in New York and that Pam should apply. Pam thinks about it, uh, but ultimately decides not to apply after having uh, talked with her fiancé, Roy. And that leads to a tense moment between Jim and Pam, which we will discuss soon. Yes, and this is the first of two Jan episodes that we have tonight. So it is interesting that we have two that feature her very prominently. And this episode starts with her voice. Like, she's the very first thing we see. And she's talking to the women in the uh, workplace. She has, uh, according to Pam, said that Michael is not allowed inside five separate times. So I'm wondering, <laughs> do you think Michael tried to get in to this seminar five times and so she just shut him down to match that many times? Or do you think she was being preemptive about it and saying, listen, I'm going to say this several more times than necessary just because i know it is necessary for somebody like you michael what do you think it was a mix of the two or do you think she was I, I don't know what do you think i think it likely started out with jan just saying and because i know michael's gonna try no you cannot come in and then i'm sure michael did try still <laughs> to come in 
I think so too. And uh, you know, he he walks in shortly after. It's it's a cold open. So this is a cold open that we get that's related to what is happening in the episode. It's our introduction to the the premise of this episode. And Michael tries the whole I need to be here because I'm their boss card. But then, well, that's stamped out because hey, Jan says I'm your boss. And so that that definitely shuts him down and he doesn't really have a, a response or anything to follow that up with. He just, okay, looks down for a second, stands up, walks out, and then Pan says, hey, hey, Jan, he, he's still outside the door. And Michael hears himself getting in trouble. And so he just walks right into his office to avoid that confrontation again. I guess he's just not used to something taking place in his office that is none of his business. Um, this is a meeting for women in the workplace. It's in the title. You know, discussing sexual harassment policies and um, hopes and dreams that they might have and just general things about the women in the workplace that Michael does not need to know about, but he believes it is his business. And It's funny, when he, he first goes in and tries to interject, he says... Listen, I've I've got a few things to say. I've been thinking, and you know what is more important than quality? Equality. <laughs> and, uh, uh, then he says, "Today's woman, who I call the the Ally McBeal woman." And I looked it up. Ally McBeal. I don't know anything about the show. I didn't watch it. I I can't really say anything knowledgeable about his referencing that, except for the fact that this episode aired in two thousand six, and Ally McBeal ended in two thousand two. So Michael continues his tradition of referencing pop culture that is outdated. He's referenced Titanic recently. He's referencing Ally McBeal now. He, all of his references are like old and not necessarily culturally relevant anymore. I don't know if anybody in 2006 would have called a modern woman an Ally McBeal woman except for Michael. <laughs> Since it is no longer modern. <laughs> right. Something about that line you just said. Uh, what is more important than quality equality? And that line <laughs> pisses me off, I have to say, because he only says it because, you know, the words sound similar and it's kind of a joke for him. But it insinuates that if men and women are equal, the quality of work goes down <laughs> because who cares about quality when we can have equality? Like, maybe that's just me being reading too much into it, but it sounds really bad. Like, if we're equal, the quality will be lower did you think about that i i don't know i didn't think about it but you're absolutely right and it's just an example of michael putting more thought into clever wordplay than into actual meaning right and <laughs> the meaning is off here it, it sounds nice on paper hey equality right. <laughs> yeah i'm doing a turn of phrase isn't that cool everybody but it, it just doesn't work out when you actually sit there and pick apart what he's yeah. saying pretty bad <laughs> so i'm wondering do you think him being so upset about this and then going off and retaliating with a sort of men in the workplace response is sort of this, it's a response to him feeling left out or uh, wanting to know what they're talking about, but being unable to, or do you think it's more the fear of Jan is in there talking with the women about Michael himself and about his failures specifically as a person as a as a lover Ooh, oh no <laughs> what do you think is going through michael's head more that causes him to reta retaliate with the men in the workplace seminar i don't know except that i can't imagine michael not being worried about every possibility that you just said to me it's mostly a well if i can't go in i'll make my own meeting that i'm in charge of you know it's it's 
it's I can't be a part of this, so I'm gonna make my own. Right, and he even invites Toby into it. He says, "You're a guy too, right. sort of." <laughs> <laughs> sort of. And of course, Toby ends up not going downstairs with the rest of the men and uh, slipping back into the office. <laughs> yeah, he very cleverly stays behind, which seems a trademark of Toby at this point. Good call. <laughs> but then this whole idea of getting the guys together, separate from the women and addressing guy problems as Michael sees it. And he, he wants them to complain about how the women affect their their time in the office and any issues they have with that. And that all of a sudden turns into the thoughts of unionizing. And they completely turn against him. As soon as discussion starts turning in the direction of unions, he starts to panic. And you see it in his eyes. He's looking around and they're asking him questions. And he doesn't know how to shut them down because, frankly, Michael's scared of the warehouse workers. Daryl in particular, Roy, uh, Lonnie. I mean, these are big guys. And he has shown in the past, like in basketball, in season one when they technically quote won the game but the other guys didn't want to go in on saturday so they stood over him and intimidated him and he folded and it's sort of the same thing going on here where these guys are coming up with this idea of unionizing and they think it's a really good idea they think they're going to get some benefits out of it they think they're going to increase their pay and michael's thinking oh no oh no oh no oh no this is awful but i can't say anything about it because then they're going to beat me up <laughs> And of course, we can't forget that Michael assumed, okay, I'll take the men in the office down to the warehouse where they're all men, except there is a woman down there. <laughs> uh, Madge is her name. I don't know if we've actually met her officially yet, but she says, you know, should I just go? <laughs> like, <laughs> none of this is about me. <laughs> and the, the funniest part about that scene to me is Michael clearly doesn't know that she's a woman until right. <laughs> she walks by him. She, because she asks, you know, should I stay? Should I go? What do you think? And he says, I don't see any reason why you need to leave. And she's, yeah, oh. I'm going to go. And so <laughs> yeah, she go. stands up and she starts walking out and he gets this look on his face at the camera like, oh, did you know that she was a woman? Oh, oh. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so bad. And speaking of his time in the warehouse with these people, he's really not all that familiar with because according to Michael, you know, he says part of his job as manager is to manage the warehouse and he hasn't been down there in months presumably since the basketball episode yeah and so he is going down there and he is playing with the forklift he has the other guys just interrupting the work he's interrupting the workflow is the gist of it and in a fantastically michael fashion where he's knocking over shelves with the lift because he's not qualified to drive it and doesn't know how to drive it and the other guys are in the way and it just messes everything up. And Daryl is not a happy camper in this episode because of it. And Michael, of course, knocks down, you know, two or three of those big, huge shelving units and then says, oh, don't worry, I'll get somebody to clean this up. And Daryl says, we're the ones that have to clean that up, Michael. <laughs> like, That's our job. You're in our territory and you just ruined everything. And of course, they have that blackboard with how many days they've gone since a workplace incident or a uh, accident. And they have to erase it back to zero because Michael has completely torn the place up. Yeah, that's such a such a subtle shot of Madge going up to the Days Without Incident sign and erasing it and resetting it. Because they, they make quite a long stride. I think it was in the 900s. So it was almost uh, a three-year stretch, about 100 days short or so, of yeah. uh, a three-year stretch of no incidents. And Michael comes in and he causes several incidents in the span of a couple hours <laughs> and of course we do because we have the office workers down there with the warehouse we have a jim and roy scene that's always 
been really interesting to me where Roy says he's so glad that Pam has a friend at work talking to Jim. Um, he's so glad that they're friends. And hey, I, I, I heard that you had a crush on Pam a while back. You know what? It's totally fine. I'm glad she has you because that way she's not all blah, blah, blah to me when she gets home. And Jim beautifully says, yeah, I like talking to her too. <laughs> <laughs> so ugh. yeah it's rough in this episode because jim he knows that there might be some sort of confrontation coming in fact kevin comes up to him when they first go down there he says you know i bet roy has heard about you liking pam he might try to beat you up and uh jim says thanks for that kevin and kevin says if he does I i'll have your back and then he starts, stares <laughs> off toward, uh, in the distance towards Roy, and he gets this look on his face like he's real terrified. And he says, but let's try not to let it escalate that far, right? <laughs> he, he, right. He's real concerned. And then that, that scene between Jim and Roy happens, and Roy's just complaining about Pam, and Jim's just sort of, well, this isn't. This could be worse. I could be getting beaten up right now. I mean, he, I think that was a legitimate concern for him because Roy's a big dude, and he has a little bit of a temper problem. Yeah. And after at the end of that scene the camera pans and we see that kevin is sort of hiding in the corner behind the shelves and he's he's sweating he, yeah he's like dabbing his lip right <laughs> right he, he he is stressed out but he is so relieved that this did not turn south because i mean bless kevin he was ready to step in and help out jim he was there on the sidelines he was ready to tap in help out how he could but he did not want to <laughs> moving upstairs for a moment I wanted to talk about Pam and the whole corporate design program. So, yeah, like we said, so Jan mentions that there's a, a design training program in New York and Pam wants to apply, but she's pretty hesitant and comes up with some excuses not to do it until she checks in with Jim to see what he thinks about it. But later we see Pam and Roy talking. So Jim was super on board with her uh, applying. He, he was like, let me hear all about it. Nope, you should just apply anyway. And Roy, we, we see them talking, Pam and Roy, but we don't hear them, but we just see Roy getting really emphatic about like lots of shaking his head and Pam kind of shrinking a little bit. And then we hear Pam's talking head. Dreams are just that. They're dreams. I'm never going to get the terrace. I'm never going to, you know, it's it's just a dream. And then we see her start to cry. So we can draw that Roy has said no, that Pam cannot apply to this program, which Roy just gets worse and worse. I, uh, you should want your fiance, your future wife to live her dream, you know, and, and it's a three month program in New York. They live in Pennsylvania. That's a totally doable thing, but he doesn't let her do it. Yeah. He's gone beyond just being sort of neglecting as a, as a boyfriend or as a fiance, uh, since I actually have a date set now. And he's actively shutting down her pursuits. And we've heard in the past about how Roy has bought a new, a couple of new wave runners and likes to go out and spend time with other people and his brother, but not a lot of time with Pam. And now Pam wants to go out and do something for herself. And it's not just a fun thing. Yeah, it's something that she, she wants to do, but it could turn into something professional somewhere down the line. It, it could be something that could bring in some additional money aside from just being a receptionist at a paper company. And he shuts it down. And it's sad because she tries to justify it in that talking head. She says, you know, like you, like you said, dreams sometimes they're just that they're dreams there's something fun to fantasize about there's not they're not 
anything necessarily to to pursue. It's just sometimes you have dreams and it's it's fun to think about, but that's all they are. And we get this fantastic Jim scene where Jim, at this point, I think he's just getting into the, man, I really don't care at this point because of how much he does care. You know, Does that make sense? Like he cares so yeah. much about Pam. He cares so much about what she's doing with her life and his concern with her relationship with Roy. And he approaches her after Roy and Pam have had this argument about it. And he says, so you're not going to do it. And Pam starts justifying it. Yeah, we talked. And Jim just says, why not? Like, he he has a little bit of that scoff to it. Like, come on, Pam, why not? And eventually he says, you've got to take a chance on something sometime, Pam. And man, if he's, he's so right. He's so right. But he's also very confrontational in that moment. And Pam doesn't, it rubs Pam the wrong way because she says, excuse me, I'm fine with my choices. And Jim, as serious as can be, says, you are? Seriously, look at your life right now. Look at you sitting in here by yourself in the break room, giving up on your dreams. Look at your fiance who doesn't want to spend time with you, who is actively shutting down your pursuits. You're happy with your choices. And Pam just sort of gives a half-hearted, yeah. But uh, that's the end of that scene. And then Pam finishes her talking head and does start crying because... She can't rationalize it any further. Jim's right. Roy is tearing her down. And it it's emotional. And I was kind of wondering, Jim comes from an absolutely correct place and with great intentions. And I wonder if he crosses a line with Pam. And I don't know because he's he brings her job into it. He says, do you really want to be a receptionist forever? And he's absolutely right. She has so much potential and she's a great artist. And as much as I'm on team Jim, part of me is like, he's not her boyfriend. He's not her fiance. Did he have a, a right to say that she deserves more? I'm Yes and no. I, I, I don't know how I feel about it, but I, I think he's absolutely right. I do think he crosses a line, but I don't think that he shouldn't have crossed that line. Does that make sense? I like agree. I, I yeah, think he definitely absolutely. took a correct step here. And in retrospect, Pam is going to look at that and is going to say, you know, I think I learned something from this confrontation. Yeah, absolutely. And without going too far into anything else that happens. But I I think that this is a pivotal moment where Jim is stepping in. He's stepping beyond his boundaries as a friend and is saying, listen, I care about you and you are screwing up right now. And yeah, holy crap. I'm sort of emotional too. Uh, I know this is (laughs) a big scene. It's a big scene. It's a heavy scene and it, it's so good. And it, it's overstepping his boundaries as a friend for sure, but that's the point. Yeah, these are. this is one of the most real scenes I think we've had in the office so far is these are real issues that real people deal with and it's emotional and it's it's hard and they do it well. And just sort of using this to transition and just talking more specifically about Jan, even Jan tells Pam, you know, there's always a million reasons not to do something, Pam. And that's when Pam first starts to consider it like, you know, maybe I should look into this design program. Maybe I should talk to Roy about it and see if this is something worth pursuing. And she convinces herself that, yes, this is something that I should do for myself. And we know the rest. But uh, Jan has framed this seminar as, yes, a seminar, but also as sort of a scoping session to see if there's any women in the office that might be worthy of transitioning into the corporate office. Um, 
And when she first mentions that, she just sort of glances down at her coffee and sighs because uh, up to this point, the women are just talking about clothes and shopping and their home life and nothing very professional that would convince her one way or the other that they are worthy of being in corporate. Which is a little ironic because the whole point of the meeting is women in the workplace. And for the whole first half of the meeting, they're talking about home things, (laughs) which is pretty archaic. But uh, they eventually do get to the bigger stuff, and Jan perks up a lot when she hears that Pam has aspirations to be an artist, to do design, and uh, does mention this this internship, this program. So Pam, I think, is the only woman in that meeting that really piqued Jan's interest. Yeah, and it's funny because when Pam first starts talking, she starts talking about the the house with the terrace with the plants in the the garden and all that kind of stuff. And so she's in the same sort of surface level conversation that Jan didn't want to hear more of. And so she sort of shuts down. But then Pam says, but on a more serious note, these are some professional aspirations I have as well. And that's, oh, ooh, yes, please talk more about your professional aspirations. So I have something to take back to corporate. And uh she she does perk up and she does get that great bit of advice about how, you know, sometimes there are just a million reasons to not do something and we don't need those. We just need the one reason to pursue it. It's also it, it Michael and Jan's interactions in this episode are great as well. Uh, first, that that initial talking head or that that initial cold open where Michael tries to interject and then. She basically kicks Michael down into the warehouse because he decides to start his men in the warehouse seminar out in the main office area while the doors are open. It's distracting on both sides. Michael's just being ridiculous. You know, I let, let's all start warming up. Let's just let's clap for no reason. Let's just clap. And so he, he's trying to draw attention to himself. And so Jan kicks him out. And uh, then when he comes back up later after the the unionizing has begun, he he's terrified because he knows how wrong it is. And he says, listen, there's a situation. They're talking about unionizing. Um, and when he approaches her, he says, part of my job is knowing how to talk to women. <laughs> and so he tells her not to be hysterical, which is a great thing to tell a woman all the time. And uh, <laughs> and then he starts talking to her slowly when she does start to get angry, but not not oh. hysterical. And he says, let's be rational here. <laughs> and all oh, that just puts Jan over the oh, top. Oh, makes me mad. <laughs> <laughs> me too. He, she, she gives him a death stare. And she says, listen, this is what will happen if, if people start to unionize. Everyone will lose their jobs in the warehouse and in the office. Then she 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 turns it against Michael and says, what do you think the pros are here? And Michael just says, don't talk to me that way, please. It's like, exactly, Michael. And then Michael tries to pull another one of his cards out. He already tried the whole I'm their boss card, and that was trumped. Now he tries a we used to have something between us. We have a relationship card. And she shuts that down even faster. Like, Michael, stop. That was months ago. There is nothing between us. And you need to stop talking and go handle the situation. And she gets so clearly flustered uh, by Michael. And then even more flustered when when Kelly starts to harass her a little bit later. So moving into some of the uh, funny moments from this episode that we haven't already covered. I love when Jan is upstairs with the women and starts going over the sports metaphors. (laughs) and uh kelly completely knowing what she's doing 
asks what second base means. And she says, because what if Michael said he went to second base with you? What would that mean? <laughs> right. uh, and she turns around and winks at the camera and all the women kind of stifle laughs because they know exactly because Michael has bragged about this for months. Yeah, I-, I love the whole Kelly harassing Jan thing. She says, you know, is is second base a business term? Like when you sealed the deal at the, the Chili's, right? Uh, you closed it and... <laughs> Uh, she Jan's so you got getting, a second base <laughs> yeah yeah Jen's getting really flustered and then um shortly after that they get on the subject the women get on the subject of marriage and divorce and Jan's divorce specifically and Kelly says oh that makes sense you were sad and depressed which is why you did that thing with Michael and then Jen just <laughs> says okay that's enough let's take let's call that five let's let's split this up and let me go take a breather because things are not going well uh, for her. They're not going the way she had hoped when she showed up at the office this morning. And then downstairs in the warehouse, um, I love that when they get down there, immediately Dwight says, it's like on Lost with the others or something along those lines because they're, they're never down in the warehouse and uh, they're just so foreign to, uh, to some of the upstairs workers. And then Michael, immediately upon getting downstairs, heads to the blackboard, which up in the corner says, do not erase. And there's some stats that they need. I don't know. Something on something warehouse related on the blackboard. And Michael erases the whole board and puts a, uh, a long division problem on the board. And he says, just to make sure there's no one down here that shouldn't be. <laughs> which he says is a Goodwill Hunting reference. Unfortunately, right. <laughs> I, I'm... That's a movie I haven't seen, and so I don't I don't quite get the reference, but uh, it it seems like Michael not referencing things correctly to me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then I think my my last big Michael moment, not even big, my last Michael moment for the warehouse was uh, after he knocks over the giant racks. He says, oh, "We've got to get this thing serviced," as if it was the the lift's fault and not the man operating the lift who ran two racks of boxes over. Never the one to blame himself. <laughs> no, never. Speaking of one more funny moment that happened upstairs, when, when the women's seminar first starts with Jan, she asks them to go around and to say one thing that they're good at. And so Meredith speaks up. And it, well, it's Meredith's turn. And she says, hi, I'm Meredith, and I'm an alk. I am uh, good at supplier relations. <laughs> and then she says her five-year goal. In five years, I want to be five years sober. Jan says, that's a good goal. And then Meredith pauses, four and a half. <laughs> not quite ready to start yet. <laughs> no, she she's still battling that alcohol, but she's not all that keen to stop it just yet. Then Michael is talking downstairs with the guys, and he's talking to the warehouse about how hard they work. He says, you know, us office guys, we love, we all love our cushy jobs and our fun, exciting office. And Jim and Ryan just sort of look back to back and forth to each other. They share a glance and like, it's like they're communicating. When did this become exciting? When did this become <laughs> anything that Michael just said about this job? This is not that at all. And I just love the abuse that Michael goes through in this episode at the hands of the warehouse workers. Uh, they first get down there, and he f- he finds the 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 blow up doll from sexual harassment. He he sees it, and it's got its back to him, and he he makes a funny sexual remark about it, and starts to squeeze its butt, and then turns it around and sees that they have put Michael's face on the blow up doll. So there there's that. Lonnie calls him Hasselhoff later because he's got his shirt unbuttoned, trying to be real chill and relaxed with the guys, and we see that Steve Carell is a very hairy person. 
And uh, <laughs> so Lonnie calls him Hasselhoff. And Michael responds, oh, yeah, guys ragging on each other. You know, that's what guys do. And we love it. And the whole time he's buttoning up his shirt. Like, yeah, I wasn't comfortable with that comment and the way you guys are <laughs> making fun of me. <laughs> And then he does stuff like he, he takes the packing peanuts and puts and opens up this giant tube of packing peanuts and empties them over the industrial fan and makes a huge mess everywhere. And at this point, it's the, later in the day and Daryl, he just doesn't have a response to it. He's just, wow, this is happening again. And Michael at least closes off the episode with pizza. And they've gone through the whole stress of unionizing and getting that shut down by Jan and Things getting knocked over and workflows getting interrupted. So Michael decides, let's buy pizza. And he says, pizza is the great equalizer. Rich people love pizza. Poor people love pizza. White people love pizza. Black people love pizza. And then he hesitates. And he turns to the pizza delivery guy and says, do black people love pizza? And we get a we cut to inside the warehouse. Everybody's eating their pizza. He's watching Lonnie just chowing down on a slice. And he goes, oh, okay. Yeah, they love pizza. Great. <laughs> And uh, last thing I have to mention, at least, is Stanley, the the office guys are helping to unload one of the trucks, and it's going pretty slowly. Uh, Ryan, ever the the aspiring businessman and uh, efficiency handler, uh, suggests that they should have an, they should form an assembly line to speed up the unloading of the truck. But Stanley says, "Listen, this here is a run out the clock situation, just like upstairs." <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan just continues what he's doing. Okay, I'm not going to argue with that. We are we are wearing down the clock, and that's all this is. <laughs> Which, not to give anything away, but I kind of realized um, watching this episode that this is a bit of a foreshadow to a later assembly line in the warehouse. Maybe just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now let's just go ahead and talk about some deleted scenes. Uh, what did you have to mention? A few that I wanted to mention. Um, one is when Michael asks Pam and Jim for help choosing a uh, a new ringtone for his phone, and he's not happy with any of them. And you know, no, this one's lame. That one's stupid. And he goes, "I I like that one that sounds like a jackhammer." You know, <laughs> and uh, he like goes on and on. And Jim asks, "Do you mean vibrate?" <laughs> and Michael just kind of glances around because <laughs> he bought the phone for all these fancy ringtones and every phone has vibrate but that's the one he wants <laughs> yeah he said he bought the phone for four hundred dollars because he liked the ringtone it had and pam and jim just look at each other wait you spent four hundred dollars for that and then michael says and yeah i realize that now they have a whole bunch of ringtones to choose from and so he's trying to pick change them <laughs> he settles on vibrate excellent good job michael money well spent and then uh there, there's a deleted scene of dwight and roy just chilling out, playing darts together. They're talking about guns. Uh, and Dwight says, hey, I've got a potato gun in my car. And Roy is interested. Oh, that sounds cool. Cuts to Dwight, and he has his spud gun. And he says, bon appetit. And he tries to launch a potato at the, the blow-up doll with Michael's face on it. But he misses and completely destroys the window to Daryl's office in the background. <laughs> and Dwight just says, sorry. And Daryl is just staring for a few seconds, a long few seconds. He says, that's my office. <laughs> uh, it's, oh, man, everything that could go wrong went wrong for Daryl today. 
We don't have a lot of Dwight in the final cut of Boys and Girls, but there's a lot of good deleted scenes with Dwight. Uh, I, I like another one where uh, in Talking Head interview, Dwight is talking about this this film he watched as a kid about a girl. He went on this great adventure, um, but ultimately, you know, there's just no place like home. And he goes, oh, I wish I could remember the name of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who wouldn't be able to think of The Wizard of Oz. It's only like <laughs> the most iconic old movie from like, it, I mean, it's 1938. It's old for sure, but it's classic. Everybody knows that movie. Um, Dwight's struggling though. I guess there's, he wasn't quoting the bad guy this time. So maybe yeah. when he doesn't have a bad guy to relate to, he struggles a little <laughs> bit more to reference it. What would that be? A witch is going about her daily life when this stupid young girl from Kansas comes in and ruins everything. <laughs> right. Uh, she she all of a sudden, a house falls on her and she wasn't even doing anything. <laughs> How dare her? <laughs> that leads us into our discussion topic for this episode, which uh, is just a question. At this particular moment in the show's run, in these characters' lives, what do you think that Pam regrets? <sighs> Most? I think she probably regrets a lot of things. Um, to what extent do you think? Like, I mean, she do you think she's regretting being engaged to Roy at this point? Or do you think it's just a regret that she didn't pursue her dreams to begin with? I think maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think she might might begin to uh, regret being engaged to Roy. I think she's starting to see how nice Jim is to her and how they're best friends. How... Or, they're at least very good friends, and Roy is not her best friend. I think I can start to see her kind of realize that this is not an ideal relationship, this is not healthy, uh, and that maybe she wishes she learned this about Jim's crush earlier, because presumably she met Roy at work, and I think maybe she wishes she just went for Jim originally. Possibly. I'm I'm trying to think back to what we know, because in the... When did Jim talk about first dates? Oh, it wasn't that long ago. But I don't remember them mentioning that they did or didn't meet at work. I don't know. I just remember Jim saying his first date was presumably with right. Pam. He didn't say her name, but then he found out she was engaged. So, hmm. I don't know. Do we know who, who worked there first, Jim or Pam? I think Jim. Oh, then maybe not. Yeah, I I might leave some of this in. I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> Pam, I would assume, moved or started working at Dunder Mifflin because Roy already had a job in the warehouse. Like if I had to guess, oh yeah, just because it is a receptionist job, Roy could have been like, oh by the way, you could work nice and close to me. There's a receptionist job upstairs. We'd be working right. in the same building. I, I don't know. Uh, we don't We don't have any basis for that. That's just me sort of guessing. Uh, but in any case, um, I, I definitely do think that Pam is starting to regret in some capacity being with Roy instead of Jim. Because even earlier at, at some point in this episode, she walks out of the women's seminar and it has this talking head saying, you know, I don't really relate to any of the women in the office. Angela and Phyllis are going at it again, talking about Phyllis's computer skills or lack thereof, according to Angela. And Pam just says, you know, I don't relate to any of these women. I don't relate to Jan. Really, the person I relate to the most in this office is, and she's about to say Jim, but then we cut. It's, it's a great cut. It's, it's a really well put together yeah. episode. We cut to the warehouse and Roy, 
of all people was saying Jim Halpert. And that's yeah. when they have that, that confrontation. So it's like Roy finishes Pam's sentence saying that Jim is the person she relates to the best. So that was really, really nice editing. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really well done. Uh, yeah. I, I was just curious because I think she is regretting Roy. And I think she is maybe at least at this point, she hasn't had time to reflect on it too much. Maybe she's regretting uh, working at Dunder Mifflin because of the, the stress with Jim. Um, She's definitely, I think, going to look at that confrontation more positively later. But right now it stings. And so she just doesn't want to be there. So maybe even working at Dunder Mifflin is a regret she has at the moment. Yeah, that makes sense. And especially not following her dreams and pursuing art. We learned that in high school, uh, on the Booze Cruise episode, we learned that she was really artsy in high school, too. Uh, so this is a hobby that she's had for a long time that she chose to never turn into a career and she probably regrets that a lot as well. Yeah, and that's why Jim is so gung-ho about her taking this in the first place is because they're best friends. And unlike Roy, Jim pays attention to Pam's wants and needs and aspirations and knows that this is something that would, at the very least, make her happy. Whether it benefited her in the long run or not, she'd be happy doing it. And that that's why he's so persistent in trying to convince her that she should do it and is ultimately so upset when she decides not to. So a little bit of an extended conversation <laughs> there, but uh, I think it's good stuff. Good stuff. So uh, let's transition into episode 16 of season two, which is Valentine's Day. So this aired on February 9th, 2006, directed by Greg Daniels, written by Michael Schur. It is Valentine's Day. Everyone in the office is celebrating except for Michael, who is actually preparing to leave for New York City for a financial presentation with Jan, the new Dunder Mifflin CFO, David Wallace, and three other Dunder Mifflin branch managers. Michael lets slip to the other managers that he and Jan hooked up in the past because, because Michael, <laughs> which of course <laughs> blows up in his face later in the episode. And back at the office, Phyllis has a literal garden of flowers around her, courtesy of Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> Dwight gets a bobblehead of himself, the famous Dwight bobblehead. It makes its introduction in this episode. And we find out that Kelly and Ryan hooked up the night before. And Pam and Angela are both anxiously awaiting the possibility of gifts from their own significant others. So that's all that's really happening in this episode. There's, it, It's really self-contained for the most part, except for Michael exploring New York, which I am really <laughs> excited oh, to talk so to you about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> being our resident New Yorker. Oh, the lovely New York City. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Michael is in New York giving a um, financial presentation to corporate. We meet David Wallace, who's the CFO of Dunder Mifflin, and um, all of the branch managers are giving their their financial presentations. So Michael follows one of the other branch managers in this presentation and chooses to not start with a financial presentation as he was supposed to do. He starts it with a video that he shot and edited himself of the faces of Scranton, <laughs> which is just him going around the office and videotaping his office while they're working with just this cheesy voiceover of Michael just talking about I don't, nothing really <laughs> just um you could spend the day walking a mile in oscar's shoes or wearing phyllis's pants or <laughs> just um 
really all kinds of nonsense about his office and how much he just loves the people that he works with, how how they are what makes Dunder Mifflin Scranton great. Um, he ends the presentation and David Wallace says, okay, that was great, Michael. Thank you so much. We were really more interested in your numbers. And Michael uh, hands out, thank goodness he did come prepared with the actual financial information. So he wasn't not a total failure. Uh, he did come with the numbers, but that's not really what he wanted to talk about that day. It's funny. It's very clear that when Michael hears the word presentation, he thinks creativity. He doesn't think yeah. business and numbers. And so, yes, he did what he was supposed to do. But when he was told he was giving a presentation, he was going to put everything into it. And he, <laughs> at the, the end of the video, he has a, a title card for Great Scott television productions or movie productions <laughs> or something like that. And there's a, a picture of Steve Martin and a picture of Robin Williams poorly cut out and pasted on the, the title card. And it, it's ridiculous. Uh, but he's taken this seriously. And he has a talking head saying, yeah, I've thought about entering it into the festival circuit. And he says, oh, I, but I'm, I'm not really into that. <laughs> he, he thinks really highly of it. He does. And he, he tried really hard uh, coming up with a title card and everything. But he does. Like you said, he came prepared. And so when, when they says, thank you, Michael, that, that, was, that was great. But did you bring your business numbers? And he goes, oh, well, yeah. I mean, I yeah, wish you had yeah. more to say about my video, but <laughs> sure, I have the numbers <laughs> you wanted too. Um, so he, he's not incompetent. Uh, he, he's a little big headed. He's a little bit of a showman or a lot of bit of a showman, but he, he's not an idiot. Unlike Craig, who's one of the other Dunder Mifflin managers at a different branch who uh, thought this was just sort of a meet and greet kind of thing and didn't bring anything to prepare. And so his branch isn't looking all that great as far as uh, whether it's going to continue running or not. It's our first it's our first time meeting other Dunder Mifflin workers outside of the Scranton branch and outside of corporate, of course. Uh, right. So we see Craig, who's the idiot. We see Josh, oh, who is mm-hmm. at um, Stanford, right? Yeah, he's at the Stanford location in charge of that. And he's clearly very competent, very smart, probably the most put together of any of the other managers there. And then there's one other guy who I don't think we ever see again. So it's not a huge deal that i don't yeah. remember his name unfortunately uh but <laughs> he he, he appears to be confident too yeah he might be ithaca yeah so uh, it's our first time being introduced to other dunder mifflin workers it's our first time meeting david wallace and i've got to say on the record here at the very start i love david wallace like throughout the whole He's show great. i love david buckley i love david wallace and you see the restraint that he's already showing with michael like he's already learning what kind of person michael is how he needs to approach him uh, the whole time Michael's video is playing, Michael is sitting there watching and like reading along with the script in his head. He's, he's really proud along, of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and David in the background is like, oh, come on, looking at his watch. Seriously, what is this guy doing? He, he brought this to a serious meeting. Come on. But then the video ends. Michael's proud. And uh, he says, you know what? Thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. Now, can we talk about business, too? And so he, he's frustrated, but he, he's patient with Michael. And he really he shows that same sort of restraint throughout the entire course of the show. He conducts himself around Michael a lot better than I think Jan does. Well, for a number of reasons. But um, he, he tries to show his patient and kind side as well. Sometimes, as we learn, you know, he's not perfect. But he, he does try to be patient with Michael, which is appreciated. We also learn that... In this episode, uh, Michael and Jan, 
Okay, so Michael is kind of having a locker room moment with some of these branch managers before the meeting starts, and he lets slip that Jan is his girlfriend, which is not true. Uh, (laughs) They have never been in a relationship. They had one night together, whatever that means, months and months ago. Um, And later in this episode, we learn that Michael and Jan never even slept together. That was not what happened. They kissed and they fell asleep. Yeah, they fell asleep that in the same it. bed. That I mean, right. sleeping together, right, Katie? <laughs> right. They, they, they slept together. That was they slept. <laughs> right. That, that that's it. <laughs> so that was uh interesting when I learned that because Michael goes above and beyond to insinuate that they had sex, not that they fell asleep. It's Michael taking his relationships with people way further than the other person does. I mean, he does it with women. He did it with Jim in uh, The Secret that we talked about last week. It, right. it, He's just taking things too far. And he's even told by Jan. He's talking before he's left for New York back at the office in Scranton. He says, you know, um, I would have to be a raving lunatic. Her words, not mine. To try to talk about <laughs> what happened between us uh, during this trip to New York. And then he says, but you never know. It's New York, the city of love, and it's Valentine's nope. Day. So <laughs> no, it's not the city of love. It's not, Michael. <laughs> You're thinking of Paris, which is Paris. many, many miles away, a uh, whole complete different time zone, um, not the city of love, New York. And I've, I've got to talk to you, Katie, about Michael as a New Yorker. You know, he says, I own this town. Yes. Don't worry. <laughs> I've got this. I know everything about New York. I fit in there perfectly. I'm going to just kill this meeting. It's no, not a problem at all uh, because Oscar is concerned. He says, you know, Michael, this downsizing is still a thing that might happen. So a really great Valentine's Day gift from you to us would just for you to be to nail this meeting. And Michael says, oh, don't even worry about this. The presentation. Forget I've got it. Com- Forget about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he does that awful New Yorker impression. And then we see Michael <laughs> in New York. And he is the biggest tourist that ever touristed. <laughs> he... Did you know, Chad, that um, Times Square is really the heart of New York? Um, <laughs> it's where the locals go. You know, the Empire State is just so touristy. If you really want to oh. get the feel for what New York City is like, just go to Times Square. It's simple. Oh, wow. Uh, the, <laughs> the line that absolutely destroys me every single time I watch this episode is when he says, oh, here's my favorite uh, pizza joint. I'm going to go get a nice New York slice. And the camera pans and it's a Sabaro. <laughs> that's what you see in malls down here in Texas. Yep. That's not real. That's oh. they they had one on our college campus for crying out loud. That's not a yes. New York slice. Oh, it destroys me. And it's funny me. because I didn't even think that I had seen a Sabaro up here until I was. I, I recently moved to a new neighborhood a couple months ago, and I was walking down the street the other day after having watched this episode, and I live near a Sbarro, so... <laughs> you I need to guess... find that Sbarro, and you <laughs> need to go get an authentic Michael Scott New York oh, slice. Gosh. That's gotta be near <laughs> Times Square or Penn Station or something, but gosh, he is so funny, and there's a lot of really good deleted scenes with him in New York as well, and none are really too worth talking about, but it's just him being so funny and thinking he is such a new yorker he oh he wants to live in new york so badly he, he even says like there's there's an energy about new york and people just yell at each other but it's all out of love it's all fun <laughs> right just, hey <laughs> screw you jerk you know it's just like um a lot can be said about new york it is a fascinating place to live and i will not say that the yelling is out of love it is not everyone's 
pretty angry a lot of the time, which is a special uh, thing to get used to when you live here. But he's viewing it optimistically, and that's nice. Yeah, he knows so little about it. He's making up information left and right. He hits up all the tourist spots. He points out all of the chain restaurants that you can get in any place outside of New York. And then I, I just want to note, Katie, how hard did you laugh when Michael talked about the subway and about how everyone takes it because it's fast <laughs> and efficient and it gets you there on time? How, it does. Isn't he so um, right? <laughs> he's so right. The MTA, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a perfect system. Um, it's a really good thing that they've kept it up to date when it was built in, you know, the early 1900s. It's really stayed top notch. So, um, And no, nobody poops in the subway either. So it's completely accurate. Yeah. yeah. Completely inaccurate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, he gets lost traveling through the city. He almost misses his meet. He gets there at like nine in the morning, 10 in the morning, and he almost is late to his meeting at four because he doesn't know how to get there. Um, he's just as far away from a New Yorker as you could imagine. Oh, yeah. I love when he's uh, he's lost and he goes, well, that's either the Hudson or the East, which are the two rivers. <laughs> so the Hudson is on the west side of Manhattan and the East is on the east side of Manhattan and you're definitely lost if you don't know which river you're at. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and there's one more New Yorker Michael thing that I wanted to mention where he's at the the Rockefeller Center and he names the wrong Rockefeller. He says Theodore Rockefeller, not John D. Rockefeller Jr., who is actually named after. Right. And he does reference the New York Rangers. So it's his first example of showing an interest in hockey, which does crop up later in the show. Uh, yeah. Did want to mention that. And then he thinks he sees Tina Fey. And that, that that gets a funny explanation from the commentary. Because in New York, with in SNL's heyday and Tina Fey was there, basically, if a woman had glasses, she was confused for Tina Fey. And that was that was it. That's all <laughs> it took. And so Michael falls into that trap, too. And then as he's going after fake Tina Fey... Conan O'Brien, the real Conan O'Brien, walks by. And maybe we'll talk about that instance a little bit more in the when we get to talking about commentary. But Michael just, he doesn't know how to handle himself. Um, and he still doesn't know how to handle himself with Jan either. He was told not to mention anything about their relationship because it doesn't exist. But he does anyways. Uh, Craig mentions it. He says, you know, maybe I should have slept with Jan too when he's gotten in trouble for not bringing his business numbers. Uh, and David just stares at Jan. Jan just stares at Michael and Michael just stares off into the middle distance. Like I knew this was coming. I'm not going to look at anybody because I know I've messed up. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and Jan, she's just gone beyond anger at the anger at this point. She, she's just exasperated. She's like, I don't know what to do, Michael. It's been months. You're telling people we we didn't even sleep together. She's just so like beyond words, really for the first time in regards to this relationship, she's beyond words. And, you know, he says, I get it. I'm sorry. I understand. We didn't have a relationship. I get it. I will move on. And I will talk to David about it. And she says, surely you can't be serious. And he says, I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Of course he does. Of course he does. <laughs> but he does talk to David. Him and Jan go up to his office together. And he does a great job. Michael's great with people. He's very professional when he needs to be. He's apologetic. Everything's fine. And this time Jan goes and screws it up. Oh my gosh. Jan is, she had a good thing going. She had it fixed and she just kills it. She has got to have some kind of complex or something because she, uh, yeah, she goes up and kisses Michael after um, his very professional meeting with David. I think she is probably very attracted to success and to, um, into power and anytime michael succeeds at something 
business related because the first time they kissed, <laughs> which is all it was, as we learn, um, it was after Michael closed the deal in the client. And now he had a really just civil and professional meeting with David and she was very impressed and kissed him. And she is so unattracted to him when he's being silly and regular Michael, but when he is succeeding and doing his job well, she's very attracted to him. So she's probably just extremely confused. Yeah. And, you know, Michael doesn't really react when Jan kisses him until he turns and he sees the camera and he's just sort of wide eyed. Like, am I in trouble? What, <laughs> what, what do I, what do I do? I thought this was over and now she's kissing me. What, what, how do I respond to this? I tried. And Jan sees his gaze and she turns and her face falls like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> they saw She's that. She's like groans. And really, she shouldn't be concerned about what the camera saw. I mean, that's the least of her concerns now that she has rekindled this thing that she had just shut down and ended. Like, Michael finally got it. I, I, like, I really do think Michael got it. Okay, it's over. Yeah. And then she kisses him. And boom, Michael's right up on that train the episode ends with him dancing outside of the Fiddler on the Roof Theater and doing this really bad Yiddish impression. <laughs> and uh, he's just happy as can be because, hey, guess what? She kissed me again. We're back on. And she had a good thing going for her, and she just ruins it. And I'm glad you mentioned the whole attracted to power, attracted to success kind of thing because that that's exactly right. That's the same thing that happens in The Client, like you mentioned. So, yeah, she she's the one who ruined it. It's not Michael's fault. Not at all. Not this time. Also, it's weird being in New York because uh, when you said Fiddler on the Roof, it it's telling how long ago this was actually aired because the next revival of Fiddler on the Roof closed not too long ago. Yeah, just last since, year. Since that. Right? Yeah, so it's been a while. That's weird. This seems so recent. Yeah, you can actually date a lot of it pretty well, I think. Uh, his first appearance in new york you look around and see a lot of the billboards for different shows you see i mean of course wicked is still playing there i'm sure but you see wicked you oh, see yeah. mama mia you see a lot of those classic shows um, right that aren't here anymore yeah um, a lot of them you can you can peg kind of when they were filming based on what was around yeah and then to sort of transition into the people at the office i do want to mention uh way back when we were talking about uh halloween the halloween episode when Michael has to fire somebody and ends up firing Devin. And he briefly has the idea that everybody sort of takes a pay cut so that nobody has to get fired. And Stanley says uh, he has kids in college and doesn't like that plan because he, so he needs his whole paycheck. He's not going to take a, a pay cut so that somebody doesn't get fired. Michael just needs to do his job. And we discussed, does Stanley have an older child in college that we don't know about? Um, and in his Faces of Scranton video, um, Michael mentions something about father of two. So we do have confirmation yeah. that Stanley has two kids. We meet one of them later, but there's an older one who's at least college age. So now we know. That was a really good find. I had forgotten about that. Really good. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> yes, there it is. Got it. Proof. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's got to be here <laughs> And so let's go ahead and use that and transition to talking about the other people at the actual office. So just starting off with Pam, what, what's going on with Pam this episode? So Pam is getting really annoyed um, because Phyllis keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger gifts. Um, one of her last ones is this enormous bear, which um, Kevin says, that thing's bigger than me. And the delivery guy says, no, it's not. 
but it's this, this huge, you know, man-sized bear. And Pam is just getting so frustrated because she and Roy said, we're not going to do anything huge for Valentine's Day, but it would have been nice if he had gotten her something. And Roy ultimately says at the end of the day, well, Valentine's Day isn't over yet. You're going to get the best sex of your life. Ugh. That was going to be his gift to her. Ugh. Is right. Oh, I... No. No. That's not... Oh, so bad. And even worse is I don't think he had even thought about that. I don't think Valentine's Day had occurred to him, really. I think that he just said in the the instant, in the moment, you know what? You're just going to get some awesome sex when we get home. And she just sort of rolls her eyes and looks disgusted, like, seriously... Because in relationships, let's not do anything big translates to do something. 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 Like, anything. Just anything. <laughs> like a you, card. Oh. Get you just anything. <laughs> Pam's not the only one getting frustrated at uh her lack of gifts and Phyllis's success. I mean, great for Phyllis because obviously things are going very well with Bob Vance. Uh we first got introduced to him in what Christmas party? So things are going great. Good for her. I'm glad she's having a healthy relationship and they're getting a lot out of each other. But Angela has given Dwight a bobblehead and he's super excited about it. He loves it. She loves his reaction to it. And it's funny. He he thinks it's like a bomb at first. It's, it comes in this unlabeled brown box on his desk <laughs> and he thinks that Jim might have left it. And Jim says, no, that was there when I got here. And so he carefully slits the tape with a knife. And opens it up and he pulls out the bobblehead and he says, it's me. And he does this great turnaround <laughs> with the bobblehead and does this stupid grin. And he's so excited. He's It's adorable, really. I mean, he is so happy about this. Yeah. He did not think he was going to be getting a gift today, I'm pretty sure. No, probably not because he definitely didn't have anything for Angela. And he tells Pam later, you know, I didn't even think that my girlfriend, uh, who is going to be unnamed and you don't need to worry about it, uh, my girlfriend, I, she didn't really seem like the kind of person who'd be into Valentine's Day. So Angela starts to get concerned that she's not going to get anything from Dwight in return, even though Dwight sort of hints in very subtle conversation at the copy machine that she is going to get something by the end of the day. And Meredith is even getting pretty upset that Phyllis is getting a whole bunch of stuff. We see her mostly in the background uh, with this d- disgusted look at her face, look on her face uh, when she's sitting at her computer. And later we see her... Uh, pouring like presumably vodka i'd assume into yeah, uh her her plastic cup and then later we see her passed out on her desk with the <laughs> the cup empty and dumped on her desk uh, but there's a lot of people who are wanting more from valentine's day than they're getting and too bad for them yeah phyllis is phyllis is winning valentine's day this year um but i <laughs> love love the dwight pam scene where um he says you know i I don't know what to get her. What should I get her? You're a woman. You you should tell me. And uh, Pam says, you know, it's it's not really about the gift. It's about what the gift means. And Dwight says, so like a ham? <laughs> and Pam says, no, not like a ham. <laughs> um, and he says, okay, shut up. I know exactly what to get her. And Pam's like, okay, Dwight. And he actually gives a really good gift. It's not about the gift. It's about what it means. And he ends up giving Angela a key presumably to his place which goes over really well and is a pretty sweet last minute gift that's a kind of a great idea if they're at that place i think you're probably right in assuming that the key was to his house because i i I didn't even think of that like that that seems like the easy explanation but i was like key to his heart like is he going (laughs) is he going full full cornball here 
Um, that's what I assumed, but I, I think it's probably a little bit more accurate <laughs> considering it's Dwight that uh, it's a key to his place. Uh, yes. Yeah, that, that, that makes thought. a little bit you, more, more sense. You know what, Chad? You're not wrong because we never hear the answer. But... Right, yeah. But anyways, there's there's a lot of people upset. And Kelly is having her own bad day in regards to Valentine's Day. She she is all buddy, buddy with Jim now after the events of uh, The Carpet that we talked about last week where she and she, she has revealed her love and desire for Ryan to Jim. And so there's an update. And so she approaches Jim and badgers him all day long about it. She says, you know, we finally hooked up last night. It was magical. It was awesome. And then Ryan basically doesn't acknowledge her at all the whole day. (laughs) And we get this great talking head, uh, very short where Ryan is just like, his hair is a mess he says, I hooked up with her on February 13th. Like, what have I done? <laughs> Worst <laughs> and, day to hook up with somebody ever. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. She's constantly badgering Jim. She says, you know, we would be so great together, blah, blah, blah. And Jim actually snaps. And he is, again, completely honest with her. That's two episodes in a row where Jim just goes full honesty. And this time he says, you know, Kelly, it would be great if Ryan was interested in you. But he's not. So you just got to suck it up. He actually says, suck it up. And have some fun with someone else. And he invites her to the poker game he's hosting at his place at night. And she pauses. Can I invite Ryan? <laughs> Not the point, Kelly. <laughs> Not the point at all. But uh, we're, we're seeing that advance a little bit further. And Ryan, uh, he's he's trying to nip it in the bud. But it's he's not successful, at least at, at this point. Now, what about some funny moments in this episode? It's a small one, but I really liked when... Uh... Towards the very, very beginning of the episode, Dwight and Michael are talking in his office and Dwight says, are you going to be seeing Jan on this trip, on his trip to New York? And Dwight says, because it's Valentine's Day and you guys, you know, and Michael kind of laughs and Dwight says, you screwed. <laughs> and and Michael says, what is your problem? <laughs> like it just, it, it flips so quickly because Michael was laughing. He's like, yeah, we, uh, you know, and then Dwight hits it on the head and says what it was and. Michael hates when Dwight is so literal. It's so funny. And he, what is your problem? <laughs> and then just a couple moments with, uh, with Michael in his, in his video presentation, Faces of Scranton. We mentioned a little bit how he was mouthing along with his presentation. He was so proud of it. I always love when he's making the tea in the video because there's not actually any water. He's just dipping a tea bag in an empty mug. <laughs> you know, that's something I didn't notice until the the commentary when they actually oh, yeah. <laughs> pointed out. I, I didn't. It didn't even occur to me that he wasn't dump, dumping it in anything. Yeah, it's a totally dry tea bag. It's pretty great. And then he's hitting on Pam in the video as well. And just look at her, so cute, and just with a camera in her face. And Pam is so clearly very uncomfortable and just. What do you want? But she's so used to it at this point that she might as well just let him do his thing. It'll probably be over before she can say anything about it. But yeah, I think we mentioned the rest of everything in the uh, in the discussion. Okay, let's do deleted scenes real quick. So there's one where Michael takes these plastic roses that he found at the store and he hands them to each of the women in the office saying, I love you and kissing them on the hand. And he does that with every woman except for Meredith. He just gives her the flower and says, I love you, but he won't kiss her hand. Right. Uh, and he, he, he says, you know, I love ladies. I always have. But the most attractive part of a woman's body to him, to me, is their brain. Because a woman isn't beautiful unless she's smart. 
plus their brain is where they come up with ideas for nasty things to do in bed. <laughs> so he takes a, a sweet moment, relatively sweet. I mean, you know, he's just, he's not serious about it. I mean, it's Michael. Right. What do you, what do you think is gonna, what do you think he's yeah. saying? But, uh, he does ruin a somewhat nice moment with a vulgar, a bedtime talk kind of thing. There's also one, um, I don't know if it was really mentioned before this, but it wasn't significant that Kevin is engaged to a woman named Stacy. And in one of these deleted scenes, um, Ke- Kevin gets a phone call from Stacy. Um, presumably she's been out of town. We learn in a scene with Kevin and Pam that Kevin doesn't know where she is. Maybe Arizona. She never really tells him. And then in a later deleted scene, he gets a phone call from Stacy and learns that she's back in town. So that relationship's got to be very interesting, uh, where his fiance does not tell him when he's going to be in and out of town. And he's like, oh, you're back in town? Oh, that's cool. Sweet. Let's let's see each other. Just very odd. Yeah, I don't know what we're supposed to assume from that, whether we're supposed to assume that she's off maybe having an affair or something uh, because she won't <sighs> tell him where she's going. And I mean... I don't know. I mean, Kevin's not the most attractive guy out there, so maybe we're led to believe that she would be off with somebody else. Uh, I don't know. But good for him that she does call, and they say, I love you, and they're going to go meet up, and uh, as he walks off at the end of the day, Angela almost looks like she's jealous of of uh, Kevin at this point because, hey, he's off to go meet up with somebody for Valentine's Day, and she, at that point, she still hasn't gotten anything from Dwight. In one of, I think, the more important deleted scenes, Michael is walking down the streets of New York, and we see, of all people, Devin, who was the one (laughs) that Michael fired in Halloween, uh, where he almost fires Creed, but he ends up firing Devin instead. Devin now is homeless in New York City, which was a huge shock to see. I, I had never seen that deleted scene before, and that was a bit of a stretch. Um... So Devin chases Michael down and saying, hey, Scott, Scott. And then it cuts to Michael saying, you know, it was, it was good to see Devin. Uh, <laughs> get to, just, to get that closure. <laughs> right. The closure for Michael, I'm sure, not for Devin. Um, so that was interesting. I, I did not expect that, to say the least. Uh, same here. I, it's the last one on the reel, I think. And I was just like, whoa, Devin. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, back in the office, Oscar is handing out Valentine's cards to everybody, and he comes up to Creed, who's on the phone, and Creed says, hey, take it easy, Ace, before he hangs up the phone. Then Oscar gives him a card, and he says, hey, thanks, Ace. <laughs> and then he gets a talking <laughs> head and says, I'm not good with names. And that's it. That's all it is. It's just Creed. He calls everybody Ace because he doesn't know their names, including people he's been working with for presumably years. Which is a thing for him. We've We've learned that he doesn't know people's names in the office ah which so which one, one's pam which one's pam yeah <laughs> that's he takes no no stock in his work he is in a whole other world the last deleted scene i wanted to mention is a poem that was cut from this episode and we don't get a lot of the poem itself in the deleted scenes i think we get a little bit more of it in the blooper reel which is on the final disc so i'm sure we'll talk about it before the end of this season but he asks jim how to spell animalian and jim says what are you writing dwight says none of your business so jim says i'm not going to tell you then dwight says 
okay, I'll look it up. And then decides, no, you look it up. I'm in charge while Michael's out. And Jim says, no, because I already know how to spell it. So I'm not going to look it up. And I'm not going to tell you unless you tell me what you're writing. And Dwight just says, fine, but you're going to get written up. And Jim says, oh, so now you're writing two things. And Dwight just sort of lets the conversation go because he's bewildered. Like, okay, Jim, stop. You're, you're This is too much for me. I'm just going to focus on what I'm doing and ignore you. And uh, the, there's more talk of the letter itself in the commentary. And there's definitely deleted scenes. There, there's one video in particular that uh, I, <laughs> I showed to you, Katie. And it's... Uh, Apparently, in somewhere in improvising this poem, Rain Wilson uttered the phrase, you're evil like a hobbit, which I, <laughs> I don't know how that belongs in a, a love letter or a love poem, <laughs> but uh, it made sense to, to Dwight or to Rain Wilson in the moment. And in that particular blooper, I'll include it in the show notes just because it is so funny. In that particular blooper, they completely lose it. They they were not able to film that with a straight face. And so uh, Rain Wilson starts chuckling first after he says it. And then we hear Jim's or John Krasinski's huge snort in the background because he just <laughs> loses it too. And every time I watch that video, I I die of laughter. It It is so funny. Uh, definitely check one. that out in the, the show notes. Any more deleted scenes? No, I think not in the commentary. So we learned that there are three cast members who are uh, old Conan interns, which is kind of full circle because we see Conan in this episode. Uh, so John Krasinski, Mindy Kalig, and Angela Kinsey uh, have all been interns on Conan. And apparently now there's kind of a running joke with the interns there. All right, who's going to be the next one on The Office? Uh, well, not so much <laughs> anymore since the series is over, but um, they all sort of ended up at The Office, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and it was also interesting to learn that the Jan and Michael romance that's been taking place all through the show so far was sort of the brainchild of Steve Carell and Melora Arden themselves. Um, and they had talked about the possibility of a relationship between the two of them way back in the pilot, uh, which is really cool to, to know that the, this, this major story arc was sort of a result of a brainstorm or a small improvisation or whatever it might have been, it was actually the actors who served as the genesis of that relationship, which is cool. So shooting in New York was was a bit of a challenge for them because Steve Carell was already pretty famous at this time. He uh, won a Golden Globe for the first season of The Office and was nominated for uh, other awards um, for, for some of his film. And they could not shoot for very long because Steve drew a crowd. Um, and Speaking of hard to shoot, especially since they got Conan as well, the real Conan O'Brien, that was very hard to shoot. And they had to uh, keep putting like a towel over Conan's head so that people wouldn't <laughs> realize who it was, which that's got to be humiliating and hilarious at the same time. Yeah, with Steve, they would they would drive him around in a van. They would hop out of a location, let him improvise a little bit. And then as soon as the crowd started to build and people started shouting at him, they'd jump back in the van and they'd drive to another location and do the same thing again. So they had a whole bunch of just footage <laughs> of Steve Carell improvising around New York, which is really cool. It is cool. And we got to see some of it in, in the deleted scenes, but nothing that's really able to be talked about. We learned that the reason they're able to get Conan was sort of a personal favor to Greg Daniels because Conan and Greg were old college roommates and good friends. So um, that's how they sort of snagged Conan on the show. So that's pretty neat. And there was a small line uh, where they were talking about the delivery guys, the UPS or whoever it was who was delivering all of Phyllis's things. 
I think John, John was in this commentary, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And he mentioned Gene and Lee, which made me realize that the guys playing the delivery guys were probably Gene Stutnitsky and Lee Eisenberg, who we know are a writing team and yeah. had worked on a couple of previous episodes of the show. So we had more cameos or roles filled by the writing staff of The Office. It's really incredible. I, I don't know of another show that casts like this. They just pull from their own administrative staff, basically. A lot of their, you know, it's 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 crazy. It, it works, but it's not like anything I've seen. Yeah, so many of the roles are filled by writing staff or other producers. You had Mr. Brown back in Diversity Day, uh, who is uh, uh, Larry Larry Wilmore. The accountants towards the beginning of the first season mm -hmm. um, were the accountants from the office, <laughs> from the the show. And of course, you have Paul Lieberstein as Toby and BJ Novak as Ryan and Mindy Kaling as Kelly. Later, you have Michael Schur as Mose. There's a whole bunch. It, it is really cool how they utilize them. And they even go the other way around. I, I could not give you specifics, but I think certain actors are also given chances to direct a little bit or write a little bit. Um, so it kind of goes both ways, which is like the dream job, I think. You get to dip your toes in a lot of pools. Yeah, that's for sure. It's a big group effort on the show. And uh, the last commentary note I had um, was... Melora Hardin says that Jan had her first talking head in this episode, which I don't, I don't know. That doesn't seem right to me. I feel like she would have had one in the client, maybe. Yeah, I would have thought so, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe there was an issue with episodes being released out of order, like happens in the first few seasons every once in a while, or pretty often actually in the first few seasons. So maybe, right. maybe this episode was filmed before some other one where she had a talking head. I don't know. It just, she said it and I was like, really? I, I didn't think so, but maybe so. Maybe, maybe this was Jan's first talking head. And then uh, this was possibly the first time that Pam has worn her hair down for an entire episode. And she um she dressed very nicely for Pam and looked like she was expecting something to happen on Valentine's Day. And nothing does. They they talked about that a bit on the commentary as well, how um Pam really put an effort on this day. And all she gets really is a happy Valentine's Day from Jim. I wanted to include that in the in the commentary discussion because that was not my original thought. So, but I did think it was interesting. Yeah, that's true. Uh, all dolled up with nowhere to go. Yep. Now you have our discussion topic for this episode before we finish up. So, what are we talking about? Similar to yours, just a little question. Some people really, really hate Valentine's Day, and some people really love it. Um, thoughts? I'm ambivalent at best at the mo at this point in my life. I guess. I mean. It's not a, a sad thing at all, really. I, I haven't been in any sort of relationship in seven and a half years. So I, I haven't had anybody to celebrate Valentine's Day with. And that's that's fine. It's I don't feel any more alone than I do on any other day on Valentine's <laughs> Day. It, it's not a big deal. Um, I, I, I'm sure I'd love to celebrate it with somebody in the future. But right now, it's just not a big deal. What about you? I've always been the same way. I think it's a nice day. Whether I'm in or out of relationship, it's always been nice you know and i've been in a relationship for quite a while now and it's like cool let's cook let's you know go get a drink it's never been like presents and it's it's just an excuse to have a date really to me it's just hey tell somebody that you love them and have a nice evening like 
some people are all about Valentine's Day and some people think it's a hallmark scam and I'm pretty middle of the road. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a good reason to go a little bit farther for your significant other than you normally would. Right. Further than Roy did for Pam. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I, I, I did want to, one last thing I suppose mention is that uh, at the end of the episode, Jim wishes Pam a happy Valentine's Day on his way out. Right. That's more right. than Roy did. I mean, Roy promised her sex and that's it. Uh, and she just sort of longingly stares after Jim as he walks out the door, just like that. Yeah, he he's a lot nicer than my fiance is. I don't, I don't know if that's what she was thinking, but that's what, sort of what I would be thinking. That's what she looked like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyways, with that, that is the end of the official 11th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash workplace pod or on Twitter at workplace pod. You can rate, review, subscribe if you would like on iTunes. It helps uh, boost our visibility and uh, get us some new viewers as well. So we'd really appreciate that. Um, and you can email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or on Facebook at facebook.com slash kd.white. And as for me, the best place, as always, is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A and facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And all the show notes and all contact information for the show can be found at our website, workplacepodcast.com. And that is all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 11 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 12 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season two, Dwight's Speech, which I'm excited about, and Take Your Daughter to Work Day. Goodbye. Goodbye.